Have you ever pointed at something only to have the dog you were trying to direct look at your finger instead of what you were pointing at? It's funny, I wrote this introduction a couple of weeks ago, and yesterday, Reese's dog, Moby, exact thing. I pointed, but he just looked right at my finger instead of where I wanted him to look. This is what cats, dogs, and small children have in common. They look at your finger instead of what you're actually pointing at. Now, children pick up on the drill real quickly. You know, they learn, okay, I'm not supposed to look at the finger. I'm supposed to look where it's directing. Dogs can learn it with a little bit of help. Uh, and cats <laughs> just refuse to learn because they would rather hold you in contempt and frustrate you. Um, in Paul's letters in the New Testament, Paul is pointing at something and trying to get us to look at Jesus. I think we've made a mistake through the years of sometimes looking at Paul's letters instead of where Paul was pointing, and that was to life with Jesus. But that's a discussion for another day. For today, from Paul's letters that will point us to Jesus. Um, and really what, what we will hear Jesus say today in the Gospel of John, would you consider, just here as we begin, these three points that point us to Jesus that really seem to be variations on a theme. And many of you will have heard these before. So from 1 Corinthians 13, 13, now these three remain. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. From Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. And it goes on, but I think he starts with those three for a reason. And then Paul made this interesting little statement one time that is interestingly similar to what Jesus said about the trouble that we face in the world and how we are supposed to take heart and where we are supposed to direct all of this love and joy and peace and faith and hope and mercy and on and on. From 2 Corinthians 4, Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Don't lose heart. And carry around with you Jesus' love and joy and peace. Let's pray together. God, as we begin together proclaiming your word this morning, we ask that you fill us with your love, that you make our joy complete today, and that you continue to shower us with your peace. We've caught glimpses of these things, but we want more. 
And even though we have caught glimpses of these things, we want them from you. Not just what we understand about love and joy and peace, but what is truly from you. We ask that you fill us this morning with your spirit, especially according to these things. In the name of Jesus, amen. Okay, so now I'm going to talk about some uncomfortable things. Uh, I do want to tell you, before I start, that this is not from a place of frustration or anger, really at all, but there are some things that we need to talk about, and sometimes whenever I've preached sermons like this in the past, it's rubbed some people wrong, and so I just want to tell you up front, not trying to rub you wrong, and I don't want to rub you wrong, but there are some things that if we are going to continue moving forward as a church into the next decade and even into the next century, there are things that uh, we just we have to talk about. Uh, so, church attendance is on the decline. And it's not just here. It is most everywhere. This is just one of the facts that we are facing right now in the United States. Still, I believe that we have something special worth sharing, but at the same time, in a recent meeting that we had with the staff and A-team and pastoral team, it was a way for all of us and a time for all of us to say, look, first of all, we want to help each other understand what's going on broadly in American Christianity. So not just about what's going on here, but what's happening. You know, what are we facing right now in this culture? And we have a lot to learn, and we have a lot of reading and research and talking to do, but that is a commitment right now in the leadership of this church, is us trying to figure out, uh, you know, some of the things about what's going on and how we, as the people of God in this place, can continue to be an outpost in the kingdom of heaven. Where we happen to be in the Gospel of John right now is a crucially important part of Jesus' teaching. And I want to tell you that I think, especially after reading what we've read, talking to who we've talked to, and reading the Gospel of John, that right now we could not be reading John at a better time. Like this is a prime time for us to be reading, particularly what Jesus says in John 14, 15, and 16, right before he went to the cross. Now, we were talking about this earlier today. If you read... John 14, 15, and 16, this big block of Jesus' preaching right before he went to the cross. If you read it out loud, 14, 15, 16, it'd take you about 10 minutes. You know, so this is not you know, this epic, huge, long sermon. It is a concise expression of Jesus' teaching right before he went to the cross. And so think about this from your own perspective. If you had 10 minutes left, to tell people about God, Jesus, your life, what's most important, what's not important, where would you begin? What would you say if you had 10 minutes to pass on to the next generation what is most important? Well, Jesus answers that question with what later in Christianity will come to be known as the fruit of the Spirit. Ways you can see God's presence in others, that basically boils down to love, joy, and peace. 
But in John 14 through 16, Jesus teaches us that we can't just wake up one day and decide to be people of love, joy, and peace. It doesn't work that way. We together need the work of God's Spirit, our advocate, who helps us to pray and to be people of love, joy, and peace, even when we don't know what to say to God, much less to each other. And so this is where we need to begin. Jesus' words in John 14 through 16 that all have to do with love and joy and peace. So, love. The words of Jesus in John 14 through 16. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Joy, the words of Jesus from John 14 through 16. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You ever feel like that? Not future tense, but present tense. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. Now, try to imagine one day, maybe not too long from now, when everything that causes you grief, sorrow, anxiety, and pain, not just settles down, not just goes away, because that's how we tend to think of it, right? Everything that causes me pain, everything I'm worried about, it just, one of these days it's just going to go away. That's not what's going on here. Imagine that those things don't just go away, but actually turn into Christ-filled, abundant joy. Well, what would that look like? I don't know. I've never seen anything like that. We've not seen this yet. This is something that we still have to look forward to. But because of the promises of Jesus and because God is still at work, I believe it's coming. I believe with all my heart that one of these days we're going to see that. I'm not even sure we're going to recognize it when we see it because I think it's going to be so out of what we are used to. But I believe it's coming. And that's because of a promise of Jesus. And so, peace. The words of peace, the words of Jesus from John 14 through 16. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. 
I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have troubles. But take heart. I have overcome the world. You ever worry about the state of the world? Jesus tells us directly today to take heart. Not that Jesus is overcoming the world, but that Jesus has overcome the world. Because he doesn't say, take heart, I am overcoming the world. He doesn't say, take heart, one of these days I'll overcome the world. Take heart, I have overcome the world. We will still have trouble, but take heart. Do you know what Jesus said to his followers right after his resurrection? It means right after the resurrection, the disciples were all together and they were filled with fear. They were afraid for their lives and Jesus walks in and says, peace be with you. Now, get this. A week later, right? A week after Jesus said, peace be with you, the disciples are in the house again, and John tells us, I mean, just right out there tells us, they were in the same place with the doors locked. Why did John tell us that? Because they were still afraid. It's a week after Jesus said, peace be with you, and how do we find the people that were closest to Jesus? Afraid, with the doors locked. So Jesus shows up again. And you know what he said that time, the second time? He said, peace be with you. Quit sitting in the house with the doors locked. Don't be afraid. Peace be with you. In your life, peace be with you. In the church, peace be with you. Because the gospel isn't going anywhere. I know it feels that way sometimes. Like, What's it going to look like in the next generation? What's it going to look like 100 years from now? I know we all ask that question. But the story of the living Jesus is not going anywhere. It may look a little bit different in the way that we tell the story and live it out. But that story's not going anywhere. And you can rest assured that the story of Jesus will live on. Because, you think about it, here we are 2,000 years later, and Jesus is still doing everything possible to try to get us to receive the peace of Christ. And we're still sitting in the house with the doors locked, and we're still afraid, and Jesus is still saying, peace be with you. So what's it going to take? What's it going to take for us to receive that? From Jesus. Peace leads to joy, and joy informs our love. So, what's it going to be for our church here at Bearing specifically as we look forward? Let's just say for the next five to ten years. Well, here are some things we need to consider as we get ready to start discerning God's will for us in this place. And I do believe, even though it's more Greek than Bible, but I do believe that knowledge is power. I believe that having information helps us understand where we are and where we're going. 
So here's where we want to start. Fertility rates in the United States from 2006 to 2016. Over an 11-year period, fertility rates continue to drop in the United States. And I know you may not be able to see that as well. Is this any better? It's not the whole entire graph, but it at least gets us to the important part. If you'll notice, over that 11-year period, 2009 to 2010 was the turning point when it comes to looking at fertility rates in American history, and the magic number is two. You know why? Because the number two is what's considered a repopulation rate. Okay? That means, and I'm sorry this is kind of graphic terms, but it just means that more people are being born than are dying. 2009 to 2010 is where that turned. More people are dying in the United States than are being born. And it got our attention, especially sociologists really started paying attention to this in 2009 to 2010. But you know when they started paying attention to it even more? 2011, and 2012, and 13, when it not only dropped below 2, but now we are at somewhere between 1.7 and 1.8. Again, just graphic terms, more people are dying than are being born right now in the United States. So those of you who went to church in the 1950s and 60s, you, know, you remember what church looked like back then. Well, it was in the middle of a baby boom. There were just more people being born in the United States. This is a different world that we live in now. Another thing to consider is what people are talking about in three kind of big picture terms. Deaths, um, graduations, people leaving home, and then people just moving to other places. These are the three things that sociologists of religion, people who study church, are looking at and saying, these are the three things that you need to know if you're trying to figure out why is your church facing what appears to be attendance decline, and so this is where they start. You know, people dying, um, kids growing up, graduating and leaving home, and then people just moving to other places. Because you've probably noticed this, in the last 50 years, we have gone from a fairly static society to an extremely mobile society. People move more now than they used to. And again, that's just one of those things that we have to deal with that you, you can't really do much about it, but at least helps you understand where you are. Now, specifically, these three things for us at Barron, and this is over the last 10 years, we've had 60 to 70-ish people over the last 10-ish years or so fall into one of those three categories. We've had people pass away. We've had people, like kids, graduate and leave home, and then we've had people move to other places. Because again, you probably noticed, if American society is a mobile society, Houston will just magnify that by however many times whatever you want to do, and that's one of the things that we're facing uh, you know, that you can't really do much about. However... Over that time period, we've also welcomed between 40 to 50 new members, new people in our church family. 
so-and-so. We've had, you know, on one side it go down and on another side go up. Statistically, I don't know why I found this interesting, I just did, but these numbers kind of also match the fertility rates. You know, we, we have more deaths than we have births. You know, and so take it for what it's worth. And this was not real scientific. I took a directory from nine years ago, I took a directory from two years ago, and then the current directory and just counted. So again, it's, it's not terribly scientific, it's not going to win any awards, uh, it's not going to be published, but again, at least it gives us something to work with. But even regular church attenders, just people who go to church all the time, are not as regular as we may have been used to in the past. And so two massive research projects tell us what we're dealing with as opposed to, let's say, 20 to 50 years ago in the life of the church. Uh, and so I'm going to share with you what those things are. Number one, we have more affluence, which means that people are traveling more. Now, when I say more affluence, I don't mean more rich people. That's not it. It's that traveling is not as hard as it used to be. You ever heard about the first transcontinental flight from New York City to Los Angeles? It took something like four days you know, to get from one side of the country to the other. And they had to stop and feed these people and gas up the plane and then fly a little bit and then stop, let people sleep, get back on the plane. It took, well, it doesn't take that anymore. You know, I put Cole and his roommate on a plane yesterday after lunch. They were in D.C. by supper time, you know, eating. And it's just, it still kind of baffles me how easy travel is. Well, that's one of the things that we're dealing with right now is that people are just traveling more than they used to. Some of it is also because we're a more mobile society. If you don't live near family, you know, you're going to travel on the weekends. You know, you may travel to go see family instead of just walking across the street like people may used to have. Another reason that church attenders are not as regular as we used to be is that kids' activities are now scheduled on Sunday mornings. Now, there is a part of me, because I've been doing this a while, who wants to complain about it. Well, you know what good complaining does? Nothing. You're not going to do us any good to complain about it. This is where we are and this is what we face. And so if we say, well, you know, why, does, why do things look the way they look now? Well, this is one of the reasons. You know, sporting events, scouts, whatever, things just get scheduled now on Sunday morning when I was preaching in Paris, Texas. Uh, they started uh, having the baseball league play on Wednesday nights. And, I mean, there was like a group of us preachers who wrote letters you know, to them, y'all shouldn't have baseball games on Wednesday. <laughs> Man, I wish I could go back to how easy that was. It's gotten a lot more complex, and that's only been in a 10-year period. And think about that, how much things have changed just in 10 years. Complain about it, or let's take the knowledge and let's do something with it. Um, number three, and I think this is a big one too, there are more online church options. And again, this too has happened over about a 10-year period. 10, 20 years ago, if you wanted to hear good preaching, you had to go listen to it live. Occasionally, some family member might send you a cassette tape and say, you've got to hear this sermon. 
but now you know, we don't have to send cassette tapes. You don't have to send CDs. You can say, hey, these 10 churches have a great online presence. Go listen to all 10 sermons you know, before you go to bed tonight. It's just kind of, again, where we are. Uh, fourth thing, and I found this one interesting. Again, sociologists of religion are calling this the cultural disappearance of guilt. Now, this doesn't mean that you don't have a family member who doesn't put guilt trips on you. That's not what this is. This is a cultural disappearance of guilt. You miss church you know, next Sunday. Let's say you're sitting here listening to this right now, but you miss next Sunday. Nobody on staff is going to call you and say, where were you? Now, we might write you and say, hey, we missed you. But it's a little bit different than you know, guilt tripping for not coming to church. And this is something that's just eased in most settings. I'm not saying it is everywhere. Um, and some of this needs to wane a bit. But anyway, that's another one. Fifth one, self-directed spirituality. I listen a lot listening to what people say when it comes to, like, church life. And one of the things that I hear, and I don't think they mean anything by it, but it is telling, is uh, I just don't get anything out of whatever it is. Whereas the life of the church is always and always has been supposed to be about living in community of faith with one another, sharing our lives together as we share the life of Jesus. But again, that's where we are. And then finally, number six, and this is something that uh, I heard a friend of mine who's in you know, all of this study, he just called it secular rot. Like it or not, we live in at least what is entering a post-Christian society. We live in a society where things are more acceptable now than they used to be. I mean, we can start with kind of obvious stuff, language, graphic nudity, you know, whatever. Things are just, you know, they're just out there more. I'm not saying we're going to be able to do anything about this, but it is to say it is one of the things that we're up against and one of the things that we have to deal with on a daily basis. So in another recent article about things that churches need to pay attention to, not just where we are, but actually what are some steps that we need to take? In the life of the church, what are things that we need to do? There's actual tangible things that we can do. Well, these three suggestions may give us things to think about. Number one, people who study this kind of stuff say, keep working on your welcome. Now, one of the things that I'll say that we do really well here is welcoming people. You know, you're looking for a church family, you're looking for a church home, you're looking for a community who's going to embrace you and love you and walk with you in the story of Jesus, the welcome. Well, we do that really well at 10 after 10. Okay. Let me tell you, two weeks ago, we had a young couple visit. And they showed up at 8.55, right before class. 
When they showed up at 8.55, there were 10 people here, and that includes staff. So they walked into essentially an empty building. Then they went to their flock group, and at 9 o'clock, you know, on the dot, when we advertise that this is when class starts, at 9 o'clock on the dot, when they went and sat in, down in the flock group that they were invited to, there were four people in the flock group at 9 colon 00. So I'm just going to leave that out there. <laughs> something to think about. And it's something that we can do. Now, I sympathize, trust me on this, 100%. My grandmother, for the last six, seven years of her life, struggled with diverticulitis. She could not get out of bed as easily as she could in the morning, and it took her longer to get ready. And so she was not able to show up the way that she had done for a hundred and something years, where she was there before the doors opened, waiting for them to unlock. So I get that. That's not what we're talking about. If you are able, though, then our welcome is something that we may need to give some attention to. The other thing that everybody who studies this kind of stuff talks about is investing in young people. This is not, you know, college and young professionals. This is not even teens. Most of them say where you want to swing attention is to preschool and early elementary, but really a lot dealing with preschool because a lot of couples when they have a baby, decide to, if they hadn't been going to church in a while, will decide to go to church and find a church and then bring the kid to church. So, again, we don't have any plans of here's what we're going to do, A, B, and C, over the next three years. It just says this is something to think about. And then the other thing, and this is something that we do need to pretty seriously consider, uh, is increasing our accessibility. This is something that people are just wringing our hands over how to figure out how do you get the word out in a culture that is just saturated with information and advertising. How in the world do you get the word out? Well, that's one question. Another question on increasing accessibility is what some churches are doing right now with live streaming. Live streaming an entire worship service. Some of it is for people who aren't able to be there because maybe today they're sick. They're not able to get up. Maybe they're out of town. But if given the opportunity, they would live stream a service just so that they can stay engaged with what's going on and still at least, even though it's not as good as live, still be able to feel a part of what's going on and feel like they haven't missed an entire week of activity and what's happening here on a particular Sunday. So again, just things to think about. So how do we move forward as a church? Here's point number one. That's where we're going to leave it today. This is number one. We commit anew today to be a place of God's presence. So that when people walk in and say, what makes your church so special? Not what makes you different. That's, let's, let's leave that one behind. 
Not what makes you different, but what makes this church special. We tell them what we already see and experience. This is a place of God's presence. This is a place that we come together and we worship with one another and we share life together because this is a place of the presence of God. And where will people see God's presence? They'll see it in one another. They'll see it in each other. As people of love, joy, and peace. Love without end. Joy without end. Peace without end. All as a part of this new creation of Jesus we keep talking about. This world that Jesus has already overcome. This new world without end. Amen. So, after something like that, back to what do you say when you want to bless someone? So, back to the blessing of number six. Let me just play a song and leave the blessing from number six up here. This song, the reason we're going to put the English up is that the song is in Hebrew. And so it'll be good to have, but it's just a four minutes and eight seconds of just receive something from God. Yeah. Uh-huh.